0: Brothers and sisters, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 15 and 20. Uh, These are the words of Jesus If your brother and sister sins, go and point out their faults. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything uh, they ask for... It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Which reminds me, Rick, we need to talk after church. (laughs) You may be seated.
1: (sighs) Thanks for that, Bryson. Uh, good morning. There are so many good things that's happening in our church family right now. And just real quick, before we jump into our lesson today, I want to remind you of a couple things. One is, I hope we know this, that God is here in this place. Amen. Open your eyes and just look around this morning, and I think you've already seen it. God is at work through what we heard from Mari and, and Casa in this being Blue Sunday and the opportunities we have and that many people have taken to be advocates for children through foster care, or just through CASA, whatever it is. There's such wonderful stuff going on there. God is here, and he's in our midst. Also, um, I want you to be reminded today that, that we pray prayers often that I think we forget that God is answering. You may have prayed for children before, that God protects them. And maybe God's answering that today by saying, maybe it's time to step up. Or maybe with our Uh, what's happening this weekend or next Saturday with our Friendspeak seminar. You may have prayed that that people in this town who are Spanish-speaking people will come to know the gospel. Well, there's your opportunity this Saturday. In fact, I'd like you to pull out your phones and sign up if you'd like to do that. If you pull out your phone right now and go to our app, you can sign up to be part of Friendspeak Saturday morning at 9.30. Uh, We've got several leaders that are going to start their training at 8 a.m. We've got people that are going to coordinate that ministry. Marilyn uh, Smith, Ruth Ward, the Flores family, they're going to step up and help us with that. And uh, wouldn't it be awesome if 25 or 30 of us said, you know what's real important is that we're reaching people with the gospel here in Canadian. And so you don't have to know any Spanish. You don't have to know anything about evangelism. You don't have to know your Bible very well at all. But we're going to get trained uh, next Saturday to read with people, teach them English uh, as a second language, using the Gospel of Luke. And that's going to be a new ministry we're starting uh, one-on-one with people uh, this Saturday, May 1st. So I encourage you to be part of that. We've already got a few people signed up. It'd be awesome if we had 25 or 30 of our members who said, that's what I want to do. We'll have continuing things. If you're not around this Saturday, there'll be more places to get involved in that but guys I, I mentioned that not as a commercial just because I want to remind us that God is here and a lot of the things that we pray for as a church God's probably sending our way and we need to open our eyes and uh, see that he's using us and we don't have to go overseas to be involved in missions we just need to go out our front door and outside these balls and remember that we're on a mission because God has called us worthy as Andy reminded us of Well, this is a transcript probably you've heard. I don't know if you have. My wife had already heard it, so she took the wind out of my sails. But there's a transcript that happened years ago off the coast of Europe uh, in the Atlantic Ocean between a British ship and a radio operator, and this is what it sounded like. Radio operator said, attention, British ship, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a conclusion. A, colli- a conclusion a collision I can't read over British ship radio back and they said uh, uh, yes we recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid the collision over radio guy came back and he said negative British ship you have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid imminent collision over British ship in return said negative this is the captain of the British naval ship Powerful ship, I say again, please divert your course, over. Radio operator, back and forth again, said negative. I say once again, you will have to divert your your course, over. At that point, the British captain was getting a little frustrated with this. He said negative, this is the HMS Invincible. We're an aircraft carrier, second largest ship in the British fleet. We are accompanied by two destroyers, two missile cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change course 15 degrees north. I say again, that's 15 degrees north, or countermeasures will be unleashed to ensue and to ensure the safety of our fleet. Over. Radio operator came back and said, um, "We're a lighthouse. Your choice." <laughs> we all know that in life. And it's not news to us to know that we're going to come up against conflict in life. In relationships, as parents, between children, in marriages, between spouses, and yes, messy conflict exists in the church. There's going to be times in here, not speaking physically in the building, but physically in the body of Christ, that we're going to butt heads, that we're going to argue, that we're not going to see eye to eye on scripture. We're going to dispute. There is a messy and beautiful truth about Christian community, about following Jesus. The truth is that Christian community is a double-edged sword. It gives us on one side of the sword. This amazing opportunity for the most meaningful and beautiful relationships you can have. But on the other side, it gives us the greatest opportunity for disappointment and hurt and heartache. That's because who you love the most and who you share the most with always have the most capacity to hurt you. So before we wrap up, we've got two more weeks, this week and next, on living the way of Jesus This series that we started 2021 out with, we're going to begin today to talk about how to confront like Jesus. We have to learn about this because it's part of Christian life. It's part of the way that we have to walk together to work through things, to live in community, and we're going to call this today to learn to argue like Jesus. To live the way of Jesus as we've been saying, I'm not going to have it on the screen. Who can say it? It means that we do three things. We be like Jesus. Anybody? Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, right? And Jesus confronted people. And Jesus also got into disputes and confrontation. He confronted leaders. He confronted his disciples. He confronted people in power like Herod and Pilate and the high priest. He also even confronted his own mother in the Gospels. He had his fair share of run-ins, and so will we. Not just outside the body of Christ, but yes, inside of it too. Here on the screen is, is what all of us will run into. This is the church membership cycle. This is what all of us go through. You come to a church and step one of the church membership cycle is idealization. You come to a new church or you move to town and some of you are are in this phase with us and hopefully you stay there for a long time. It's that phase of like, man, this is a great place. You're idealizing it. I think I've got a laser here. Ooh, I do. You idealize. These people are wonderful. Look how great this is. But then sometime throughout Your journey with the church family, you enter into that second phase that's on the screen, disillusionment. You see people for who they are. You butt heads with them. The warts start to show. The person that was super nice to you in the first three months you were at church, by year four or five, they've kind of broken off that relationship or whatever. And then things get real. It's at that point that either you move towards acceptance or you break away. What happens in every church is somewhere between disillusionment and acceptance, there is confrontation. And the break point can either look like leaving and go finding somebody else that you can idealize and repeat the cycle, or it can look like just becoming a turtle in the church. And I'm angry, but I'm just going to get in my shell and I'm not going to talk to anybody. You probably have chosen one or the other at one point in your life. But the goal is to become people who realize that we're all going to confront each other at some point, and we're going to accept that, and we learn something from it. And that's what we're going to call today fruitful confrontation. Here between these areas of breakpoint and acceptance, we can get to a place of learning to engage and lead, accepting one another and helping each other follow Jesus. Not because we idealize each other and say, well, they've all got the answers and everything. that's just a perfect church. Does that exist? No. What we learn to do is we learn to engage because we are interested in each other's relationship with Jesus. That's why we must learn to argue like Jesus. So who's excited about this lesson today? (laughs) Who loves confrontation in here, right? Who doesn't love a good intervention, right? Man, you know, I invite people over to my house. We're going to intervene in this guy's life, and just hundreds of people always show up, right? No, we would probably, most of us in here, would rather do anything else than have a confrontation with somebody. Amen? Right? Right? You guys know the game, would you rather? Let's play a little game of would you rather, right? Just for a moment, you guys know that old game, would you rather do this or this? Answer this for me, these are ridiculous, I'm not trying to be serious, would you rather? Would you rather get hit in the face with a football thrown by Patrick Mahomes from 10 yards away or have to sit down at lunch with someone you gossiped about last week and have that conversation? Okay, would you rather, I got three of these, would you rather have to swim in crocodile-infested waters or sit on a couch at Thanksgiving and unpack the hurt you've been carrying around with that family member who caused that hurt? We're the crocodiles, right? Final one, would you rather have all your fingernails smashed by a hammer Or actually go to the person who offended you and work it out, right? We know, everybody in here is like, where's the crocodiles? Give me a hammer. I want a football to the face, right? We know most of us would choose that over actual confrontation. Now, there's a reason for that. And our world is actually becoming less confrontational, interestingly, in a social media world than we used to be. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what we do. We live in a world right now that promises connectivity, relationship, without the mess of the time and trouble it takes to actually build that relationship. And that promise never delivers. Can I get an amen? We talked about this in Bible class this morning. We live in this world that says you can be connected with people, and guess what? The wonderful thing is that you don't really ever have to have any problems with them. And that is such a lie. Because we are living in a world that really isn't connected. It's disconnected. And so we as followers of Jesus, what we have to do is learn healthy confrontation, fruitful confrontation. And as we open scriptures, that's what we see in Jesus and in the early church. There is not an early church that was somehow a utopia. There was confrontation. Every, almost every book of Paul is written because of confrontation. There's something that needed to be resolved. So what we get to see in Scripture is that the early church and Jesus learned how to have fruit out of the times that they disagreed. And so we're going to talk about that today because I think that's a beautiful, healthy, mature place for a church to grow into and become. So here's what they did. Jesus and the early church practiced arguing, working, disputing fruitfully. And they did it in truth and in love. Not in balanced parts, but in equal parts. 100% truth and 100% love. And that is what makes the thing that our society, I believe, has really longed for worth it. True and lasting friendships and relationships is us willing to sacrifice, saying, yes, I would rather sit down and work this out fruitfully with you than actually do what we usually do. Ignore it. Because the cost is worth it. Fruitful confrontation, when it leads people to Jesus, is always worth it. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It is. So here's what we're going to begin with. And I'll really ask you that you would do this. I want you to close your eyes this morning. Take a deep breath. And with your eyes closed, I want you to call to mind someone's name, or in your mind's eye, someone's face, that you have a problem with. I want you to think about somebody that has hurt you or you've hurt, some situation where there's a problem. Just capture that person's image in your mind. Now, with that in mind, I want you to hear these words from the New Testament. Paul in Philippians says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, From being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, open your eyes. That is our call. And we begin with that scripture today because I want you to know this. Paul is saying something so important. And, man, Andy, the Holy Spirit's so out and far in front of us today. Because Paul is telling us, and he's telling a church in Philippi that was having troubles with unity. He's saying to them, fruitful confrontation is showing people what is true about them and about you. Now let me explain that. Paul's saying to a group of people that were having trouble getting along and they were taking sides and they were fighting. He's saying, if you have any encouragement with the unity that you have with Jesus, if you have any comfort in his love, if you have the Holy Spirit, or as Andy put it in communion, if you know you're worthy, if you have this tenderness and compassion, then do what? Then make my joy complete by what? Being of same mind and same heart. In other words, seeing each other as we are. Loved by God. He's reminding us of what is true. He's saying if there's going to be conflict, but when there's conflict, know that you are in Christ. And so is that other brother or sister they have the Holy Spirit. Guys, we don't get so excited about this. I was listening to Francis Chan yesterday. I know some of y'all are Chan fans. Chan fans, I like that. Francis Chan fans. And, and he was saying, what if we just really realize that God lives in us? Would we not fall on the floor in joyful praise with our hands lifted high to realize that what's true about me is true about you, that God died so that we could have a relationship that's so close that he's in here. That's why I can be compassionate towards you and you can be compassionate towards me. Why we can have fellowship in the Holy Spirit, why we can have comfort in his love is because we have a truth about us. There is a truth about us. And when it comes to confrontation, there's something I want you to know. How you see yourself is how you see others. How you deal with yourself with God is how you'll deal with others with God. So if God's always out to damn you, then you're going to go out to damn other people, right? If God's always out to get you, then you're going to go out to get other people. But that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, well, all you guys should be scared of what God might do to you. What he says is you should have encouragement and love because you have the Spirit And you have Jesus. I am not worthy of that. But man, I have been dearly loved by God. And you have too. And so fruitful confrontation is what we share because we have a fellowship in the Spirit together. You have value. Because Jesus found you worthy of dying for, and so do I. See, social media that we live in is so shallow, isn't it? People can make comments about everything and just throw it out there and be mean-spirited and shallow, right? Pithy. But you know why it's full of that stuff? And church, here's a way that we can shine The world is so shallow because it's full of people who don't know their value talking about other people's value. You hear me? It's full of people talking about other people's value who don't even know their own value. That they have a God who is willing to die for them. And we can't value another person unless we first see how God has valued them. Then that changes the way we do confrontation. Paul says it differently in Colossians 3, but almost the same thing. He says, therefore, as God's, what, chosen people, holy and dearly loved. His identity precedes behavior here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So fruitful confrontation happens in a place where we know who we are and what we have to offer each other. And what we have to offer each other is the clothing of Christ, compassion and humility, and kindness, and love. Now, don't hear this as like, well, Jake told me this is a license to confront everybody. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. This isn't about going and talking to somebody just because they annoy you or you just don't like them. Don't show up at my door just because you don't like my preaching style, okay? (laughs) It's not about annoyance. It's about Christ. It's about fruitfully loving people so we can help the other person be more like Jesus. There's a goal in confrontation in Christianity. It's not just I don't like you. It's I want to see you more like Christ and I want you to see more of Christ in me. Fruitful confrontation begins and ends with our identity. If not then we're just adding to error and noise and messiness. I want you to think about this. If you confront only out of a reaction to somebody else's error without the goal of leading them to Jesus, then error is only going to produce more error, right? You with me? Error of an error in confronting is only going to produce more error. Let me give you a couple examples. For for example, if, if you ask your spouse to take out the trash and you get home from work and the trash still isn't taken out, there's an error there, right? So you confront your spouse and you go, I have told you for five years to take out the trash and you still don't do it. Guess what you just did? You reacted to error and created more error. Because you weren't talking about the trash. You were talking about five years of trash, right? That's what we call in marriage counseling, taking shots, right? We're talking about this, but I'm gonna take shots about something you did six years ago, right? You always say that. Well, I, I said it once. No, you always say it, right? right? I, I, Allison just argues with me all the time, and I, you know? So, <laughs> but that it's, it's when we react to error, that we often produce more error. In church, we do that all the time. We bring out other people's error. Something offends us or something happens outside of your tradition. You think this is the only way to do church, and you go, I can't believe that they said a prayer that way or they did this. And what do we do? We don't follow Matthew 18. You know, there's nowhere in Scripture, I'm going to step on some toes here, There's nowhere in Scripture that says, meet the elder in the foyer and gripe at them about somebody else. (laughs) Boom! (laughs) Do you know that? Hey, elders, I hope you know that. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. I know you guys know that. But that's what we do. We see error and we go, I'm going to add more error to it because I'm going to triangulate, I'm going to gossip, I'm going to grab an elder and I'm going to gripe and hopefully the elder will take care of it for me. Our elders are shepherds. They're not here to pass on complaints. They're here to lead people to Jesus. And you are too. We're all shepherding somebody. So fruitful confrontation arises at us learning to speak what is already true about each other. So I can go to Barry or I can go to Doug I can go to Corey and I can say, I want to see Jesus in you. And I may be way off base here, but there's something that we need to talk about. Because I want you to know Jesus more as I am growing in Jesus as well. See how that works? Second, fruitful confrontation grows in a culture of grace church culture of grace especially when we're people that need grace right the problem is most of us most of us want grace but we we but we don't want to give it right i want a church culture of grace but i want it to be the church culture that gives me grace and then i don't know i'll dole it out if i need to i'm i'm guilty of that and and please don't hear anything that i'm saying that i'm not guilty of in any of this i'm preaching to jake hardcore this morning i just stepped on my own toes a lot there okay what we do though is we want a culture of grace but what we often do is live by a culture of judgment and we do that hundreds of times a day we think through how other people are we make little tiny judgments here and there and we want grace but we don't want to offer it but let's go back to philippians 2 3 here's what paul said And guys, this is a y'all passage. Remember our y'all stuff, where where it's plural, the you isn't singular here. This is a y'all. So the whole passage is about what the church ought to be doing, what everybody. He's not singling people out. He's saying everybody. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, what value others above yourselves. See, what he's saying, he's reminding us of, is that the cross... We are people of Jesus, and at the cross, the playing field is level. At the cross, there's no hierarchy. Everybody is there in need of Jesus, and Jesus is willing to give them himself. It's level. There's no place at the cross where I stand over people and say, I've got this figured out. What we do at the cross is say, man, let's put our eyes here. You may be looking over here. Or I may be looking over here and you need to tap me on the shoulder and Jake say, Jake, you're taking us here. Let's put our eyes back on Jesus. That's what builds a culture of grace because at the cross, that's all there is because at the cross, we remember that we're all deserving of death and yet Jesus gave us his life. There's a billboard it was up, I don't know if it's still up, but it was a billboard just a few blocks away from a guy's house named Joe Avila. And the billboard read, don't drink and drive. And then underneath it, in smaller letters, it said, in honor of Amy Wall. The sign was there because in 1992, Joe Avila was drunk and was driving. And he wrecked into a young teenage girl named Amy Wall and killed her. And then he fled the scene. He doesn't even remember that night. But in the days and weeks to come, he was scared and suicidal, and then he was charged with manslaughter. And at that point in his life, Joe was struggling, or he was struggling with alcoholism. As he awaited trial, he had a choice in his life of what he was gonna do with the rest of his life. And instead of getting further into the depths of darkness that his life was headed toward, he decided to turn a 180, and he got to work. He reconnected with his roots growing up in church, reconnected his relationship with Jesus, brought that thing back to life. He checked himself into rehab before his trial. And then following getting out of rehab and going through the 12 steps, he went back to the court case against his lawyer's advice and changed his plea to guilty, saying, I'll fall in the mercy because I did kill this girl. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. But he kept his heart on Jesus. Jesus. In prison, he worked with the other inmates. He led led chapel services. He told his story. He connected with people in prison for those. he, He only ended up going for about seven to eight years. He connected with this other church, Grace Community Church. And this church began to teach him about that although he was carrying this great amount of guilt, that at the cross, there is grace. And he knew that because he'd grown up in church, but he hadn't ever really experienced it. So on his release, this church, Grace Community Church, lived up to their name. They threw a giant party with a big banner above their doors that said, Welcome Home, Joe. And he came into that church and he began to serve. And over the next two years, he got to sit down with Amy Wall's family. Family. Having experienced grace, he now was ready to pass on grace. He first met with Amy's older brother. They talked for three hours one night about what Joe had done taking her life. Then he met with Amy's mother. And his mother, Amy's mother, brought a three hour video. About Amy's life for Joe to watch Not because she hated him But she wanted Joe to know Her daughter Joe said it was the greatest One of the greatest gifts he's ever received To have to sit there and watch This girl's life unfold Because he not only realized What a horrible mistake he made But then he realized something else That Amy's life God was still using And then he met with Amy's father and by this time, Amy's family had got to know Joe really well. And before Joe could ever even ask those words that he had asked of Amy's mom and he had asked of Amy's brother, will you please forgive me? The first thing Amy's dad said to him was, Joe, I love you and I've already forgiven you. He said to him, I want you to honor your Savior and live the rest of your life telling, him, telling people about him. Joe's an elder at Grace Community Church now. Because that church understands grace. The people, we all make mistakes and we all need confronted, but our job is not to add error to error, but our job is to build grace upon grace. So that people can see Jesus. And that when we confront, we go to them to say I've got, not the answer, but I've got the one who can heal this problem. So I want to make this and close this up with some very practical questions. If you haven't been taking notes, I do want you to encourage you to take some notes here. There's three questions we all need to ask ourselves before we confront somebody. And I'm talking about Christian confrontation. I would ask you not to not, not really. Let's not practice a whole lot of confrontation outside of the, outside of the body of Christ. <laughs> have, we, have we not done enough of that, church? Right? Let's not, I don't think churches ought to be, you know, active in confronting the world. I think we're told not to do that. It's the world, right? The world shouldn't surprise us. They're the world. So these questions have to do with Christian community, and number one is this: when you're going to go to somebody, the first question you have to ask is do I have the right? We sometimes confront people we have no business confronting. Again, this isn't about annoyance or pettiness. It's about do I have a relationship with this person? Do I have the right to go to them? Do they know me? Do they know the heart I'm coming from? A few weeks ago, I said something pretty silly from the pulpit that I was beating myself up over. And I had a sweet lady in this church come and confront me about it. And I won't give you her name, but she said it. She said, "I'm coming to you today because I care about you, and I want you to know how much I'm thankful for the words you bring to me." She had the right because she was helping me see Jesus. So you have to ask yourself this question: Do I have the right? Am I trustworthy? Am I somebody that they trust? And if not, maybe I need to build that trust before I come to them. And number two, it's not just do I have the right, is love my motive? See, we confront sometimes out of not loving motives, amen? We sometimes confront out of pride, and man, I've been guilty of that. I just want to be right. I just want to win. Uh, any spouses in there? Wanna, you guys ever argue with your spouse just to win, right? Sometimes you just want to win, That's not our motive here. It shouldn't be our motive in our marriages either. But it certainly shouldn't exist here in the body. It's, It's often our motive is, oh, I just want them to be more like me. In church, we fight about tradition more than we actually fight about doctrine or about what's in the New Testament. So the question is, is love my motive? Am I trying to make people more like me or am I helping them be more like Jesus? Also, with this one, is love my motive? A great question is is God already at work on this? Where do I need to meet God along the road and help with this situation? Sometimes God's already worked it out. But you need to spend time with the Lord about that. So, do I have the right? Is love my motive? And then, number three is maybe the most important one in some ways because it's am I clear? See, when we go in to confront people, usually we do one of two things. We either sugarcoat or we exaggerate, right? The people you're closest to, you'll exaggerate. The people you don't know that well, you'll sugarcoat. Hey, this really isn't a big deal. Well, maybe it was a big deal. You need to be clear. This really was hurtful. You need to be able to tell people how you feel. But then we also, on the other side, sometimes exaggerate and say, you're ruining everything, right? Right? Christianity will never recover from what you did last week. Right? Christianity is going to be fine, <laughs> right? That's what, but we exaggerate, right, so much. Sometimes we demonize people because we're not clear, right? This person's a false teacher. They're a false teacher. I heard them say something I didn't agree with. They're a false teacher. Well, New Testament version of false teacher, just so we clear this up, is somebody that denies that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, and that's where it ends. That's the idea of a false teacher in the New Testament. It's somebody who denies Jesus as the Son of God and denies the resurrection, That was the issue in the first century. So we add to a lot of issues about about what a false teacher is. We we like to add to the Bible on that, and I get it. There can be false teaching outside those, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating uh, for us to not be about truth. I'm all for truth, but we have to be clear. What is clear, and let's not demonize people because that's not being clear. Because what is true about that other person? They are walking with Jesus too. So here's what we can end up with, and I'll wrap up with this. Church, here's how you can know if you're confronting like Jesus or if your confronter is confronting like Jesus. They stay, they stick around in your life, they commit. They walk through the problem with you as you walk with them. You both keep walking with Jesus together. That's the litmus test. If you're going to confront, you've got to be willing to stay. And finally, I'll say this we also need to know who we are. Church, we are not saviors, we are pointers. We are pointers to Jesus. We are going to have confrontation, but as we do, let's just be people who say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's work this out. Let's come together, and maybe sometimes we have to agree to disagree, but all and overall, let's be pointers. Let's point to the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Amen, church? I don't know if you need to respond to that. Good grief, that's one that you're like, I'm not responding to that one. Where's the alligators, right? (laughs) But I think we all probably need to respond to this message, right? I think we all probably need to say, let's fall on the mercy of God and the grace of God and be better. I do. This is my response right now. I sometimes have gossiped about some of you. And I need to come to you and repent. I sometimes have been frustrated with you guys because I want you to be more like me. Because I'm that arrogant. I think the world would be fixed if everybody would be like Jake Perkins. Well, there'd be one person left on earth because we'd all kill each other. (laughs) Right? We need to be humble. We need to get back to the foot of the cross. And we need to offer each other grace. Because God has got you where you are. And he's the one changing your heart, not me. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing with joy in our hearts for that. Let's praise God.